It's Thursday. Today is Thursday. I've brought you the greatest gift of all. Oh, yeah? Well, in that case... Entertain me! It's showtime. Make use of the help that God puts around you. We are not a glum lot. A promise is a promise. It's very simple. Just don't drink and go to meetings. Give time, time. Easy does it. I do it. Want to have self-esteem? Just do esteemable things. One day at a time. We carry the message, not the alcoholic. Don't quit before the miracle happens. We're the defective characters. Three guys sitting around talking about our personal experience in recovery. Hey, I'm Mike. I'm Dennis. James here. The opinions are our own. We don't represent any particular organization, institution, or fellowship. Today, Kevin will be sharing his experience, strength, and hope with us. In this episode 55 of the Defective Characters Podcast. Let's go. Let's go. Ah, we have a special guest that we uh, teased a couple weeks ago um, and was actually a part of, what was the topic that we were talking about? Do you remember, Dennis? Living Immense. Living Immense. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, Kevin's going to be sharing his story. And... I will be honest that many times in the past, there's been guests that have popped in and we say, oh, we need you to tell a story. And then we forget about it for like 20, 30 episodes. So I'm glad that we actually, you know, one thing that we said we were going to do, we came true uh, to. And it's a treat today to have you. And Dennis is going to intro you a little bit, hopefully better than he did a couple of weeks ago. So we can actually get a sense of how important you are in our fellowship. What? No. <laughs> Dennis. Like better than last time? Like I was just gonna say like this guy, his name is Kevin. He does things sometimes and I think he doesn't drink, but I don't know. He likes Batman. But he does like Batman. He does like he Batman. does, but he likes Bruce Wayne better. That's a, that's important to signify. But uh Kevin is one of those guys, if you listen to my story where I met a few uh men before I ever came into the rooms because a friend of mine were friends with them and so I met Kevin probably like months and months before I ever came into the rooms and we used to like sitting at a table in front of a restaurant that's literally right next to my house because I didn't like leave my house and stuff and we would talk about movies and stuff and every once in a while we would talk about recovery type stuff and I wasn't in recovery at that time so I mostly talked about the shit i was dealing with or going through but we really bonded uh, over movies and i think until like still to this day sometimes we'll hang out and have a coffee or whatever and we'll spend like the whole time just talking about movies and i love that and like you know i think that's like what's good about our fellowship it doesn't always have to be like recovery recovery it's like you build real friendships and common bonds over things that you're interested in you know and without further ado, here is Kevin. Well, thank you, Dennis. I uh, I thank you for that. That's uh, an important thing to know is that as important as recovery is, it's not everything. We, we get recovered and we get sober to live a life. And uh, that's important. You know, there are things that we have to do daily, but it, it doesn't really uh, become our whole life unless you want it to. You know, there's other interests that you don't really find out until you get sober and start learning who you are. But anyway, uh, I typically start my talk with uh, I don't like to talk about the old person that I was because that guy is not me anymore. 
and he was really not worth knowing. Uh, what I'll tell you about that guy is that uh, he would lie to you as as quick as anything, and if there was a way for him to get over, he would do it. And, uh, you know, take your money, take your time, take your wife, whatever. Uh, he didn't have a whole lot of morals. His, uh, I like to say that his moral compass was skewed. And, uh, you know, when, when you're living like that, it becomes a great weight to carry around, and you get tired of it. But you feel like you're caught in this uh, vicious circle where all I know is I, I get up, I hate the way I'm living, and then I start drinking. And then after a while, the drinking part doesn't even work anymore. So I'm just caught in it. And I'll tell you that uh, towards the end, I would uh, either uh, wake up having pissed myself or puked all over myself or on a good day having done both. And I still couldn't snap the way I was living. You know, it took a, uh, I want to say it was just an act of God almost because I, uh, I decided that I had to go to, I had to go to jail because I was facing 30 days for driving on a suspended license as the result of a DUI. And, uh, my lawyer, when I went to the courthouse that day, my lawyer asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, uh, I want to go to jail. And he said, Whoa. And he pulled me out in the hallway and he said, I don't like my clients to go to jail. And I said, unless you can get me in a spot tonight where I can't walk across the street and get a bottle of vodka, I would rather be in jail. And that was it. And that was the beginning, you know, uh, what started that the day before I had gotten a call from my uh, new probation officer and he said his name, he was replacing Lisa Helmstetter. And I said, Oh, Lisa's gone. And he said, Miss Helmstetter is gone. I'm your new uh, probation officer. My name is Oscar Moira. And I went, Oh, okay, Oscar. He goes, no, you will call me Mr. Moira. And I kind of got the feeling that the game was up, you know, that there was no more playing around. So I went in, and I decided I was going to quit drinking. But, yeah, I got drunk that night, you know, and the next day is when I went to court. And it was, uh, it was like I said, it was the beginning of the journey. You know, I went to court. I went to, I went to jail because I wanted to buy me some time. And I figured if I was away from alcohol, I would, uh, I'd be able to figure some things out. But halfway through my, it was, I did 30 days in uh, Osceola County Jail. Two weeks into it, all I can think about is how drunk I'm going to get when I get out. And I said, damn, what's going on? I don't want to drink. I don't want to drink. And uh, that's when I knew that this was bigger than me. And it, was, uh, it wasn't about just willpower. You know, I needed, I needed some help. And I went to an AA meeting in uh, jail. And they do them different in jail. They have a, three or four guys come in and they, they tell a group of inmates about AA. And then they leave. There's, it's not very open. And um, this, this night, they decided to open it up to the inmates and let them ask a question. And this one guy very defiantly said, why do I need God? And the whole place went nuts. Everybody, you would have thought they, he just insulted everybody's mother. But I thought, what a great question. You know, and I sat there the whole time thinking about it. And then after at the end, because I had been dabbling in AA for about two years, but I never made the commitment. And I had I had heard a lot of stuff and I had read a lot of stuff. But I was in that meeting and at the end, I went up to him and I said, listen, I go in. You need God because most of the time 
in the darkness, you need light. And that seemed to help him. And it, it flipped a switch for me that I was going to need, this was going to be a spiritual fix, you know, because the, uh, in my time before it, I had always heard it, but it never, it never sank in. And, uh, on the day I was supposed to get out, they were going to release me. And I was scared to death because I knew I was going to drink left to my own devices. I was going to drink and I did not want to drink. <clears throat> and my, uh, I had a caseworker and this was actually two days before I got out. He came by and talked to me and asked what I wanted to do. And I told him what was going on with me. And I told him about my fear. And he said, well, I have, I might have a place for you. Um, it's a faith-based um, treatment center. They only take men, um, only about 20 men. It's a year-long program. Uh, would you be interested? And I was like, hell yeah. Uh, I needed, I knew why he was going to need time to re- relearn everything I knew. And a year sounded really good to me. And uh, faith-based sounded good, too. So he said he was going to uh, call, and he came by the next day, the day before I got out, and he said I was admitted. I, I had to go. The name of the place was the Foundation for Life. And uh, I reported there on a Sunday, and I was there for a year. I was the first year graduate. I was the first. Uh, at the end of it, they asked me to be the assistant uh, director. They have the directors, the main guy, but. Uh, they, they needed assistant to kind of do check-ins or, uh, intakes, make sure people were doing the right thing when he wasn't around. So I did that for a little while. And I remember one day this, I had, a, I had a lot of help as we do when we're getting sober and people would come and pick me up to, and take me to meetings. Cause I wasn't driving at the time. And I remember I was going to a meeting this one time and I had been bragging about me being the assistant director. And, uh, <laughs> my friend, uh, said, Oh, what does that really mean? And I started going off about how important I was. And he goes, no, you know what it really means is you're the guy that does the piss tests. <laughs> went, oh, damn it. He was absolutely right. That was my main function, but it was fun. And, uh, I learned, uh, I learned a lot about humility in my first year, which I think we all need a great big spoonful of. Because in the, to me in this, nothing gets done without um, a certain sense of humbleness. You know, we're given a great gift once we get sober. And what we do with that gift is uh, paramount to uh, how we honor God and how we honor our sobriety. And, um, yeah, it was, it was uh, the year in this foundation was nice because I had a safe place. But it came time to leave. And I, I moved in with my friend, my best friend. I've known him probably 20 years. Well, no, now 30 years. And uh, I went and stayed in his apartment until I figured out what I was going to do. And I had gotten, I had gone to make my amends at a restaurant that I had lost my job at, at the end of my drinking. And they gave me my job back, which was in celebration. And his apartment was up in, oh, shit, where is it? Anyway, on the other side of town, it was about an hour and a half away by bus one way. So uh, I would have to get up early, go catch the bus and come in here, uh, work, then go home back to the apartment. We were having a great time. We were staying up late, playing video games, 
you know, just like we were in college. And uh, his one rule was never to have anybody there when he wasn't there. And that's, that's fair enough. So uh, he went to go to NASCAR race one weekend, and I had the place to myself. And it was no big deal. I, I played video games and just hung out. And then uh, on Monday, he was coming back Monday afternoon. On Monday, when I got home from work and I was walking up, I saw a whole different look about him. And I, uh, I was walking over to do my laundry, and he said, no, come, come with me. And I went, okay. And we walked back into his apartment, and he had found an earring in his carpet. And he assumed that I had had a woman over. And uh, we have never had a serious argument. And for the first time in our lives, we had one. And when I tried to tell him, I didn't do this. Um, and he he was set, dead set on the idea that I had. Because I believe at the time he had stopped drinking because I was staying there. And I believe, and I can't swear, I, I wouldn't swear to it. But I think I was interrupting his drinking. And he wanted to get his life back to it. So we had this fight. He brought me back out to 192 in Kissimmee. Uh, and actually dropped me off at the hotel I had gone to court in. My last day of drinking was kind of my first day at this hotel in my sober life. Because uh, now I was kind of, I felt like I was out in the world now. Because, you know, I was protected at the foundation. I was protected at his apartment. And now here I am. I'm out in the world. And I remember... I had to wash my uniform for work and I was sitting there and I was staring across the street at the liquor store I used to go to. And, uh, you have to pardon my language, but, uh, this is exactly what I said. I was looking at that liquor store thinking about going and getting a bottle of vodka and saying, screw it. And then I said, fuck it. I'm just going to bed. And, uh, that was probably the first real test of my sobriety. Um, and as I've lived my life, and I've been sober a while now, I've found that they're not really tests. They're, they're opportunities for me to forget the things that I've learned and go and drink. And I don't drink anymore. So now I have to live it. Um, at two years of sobriety, I met a woman at <laughs> uh, Halloween Horror Nights. Uh, we hit it off very well. She lived in New York. She was down on vacation. She came over to my, she was here for three weeks. The second week she came over to my apartment and we had dinner and, you know, I lived in celebration at the time and, uh, we just had a great time, you know, and, uh, we decided we would get married and I would move up to New York cause I was a cook. I can cook anywhere. And, uh, sure enough, I sold all my stuff. I got rid of everything, <laughs> moved to New York. I got, uh, I had my. My mom and dad, I told them and they were like, oh, no, you better have a you better have an exit plan. You better have an exit strategy. And I was like, what? I'm in love. How can you say that to me? And uh, they were like, well, it's been my experience. Things like my dad was like, it's been my experience. Things like this don't often work out. And I said, well, I'm sober now. This is going to be special. And so I moved to New York and three months later, I moved back to Florida. <laughs> uh, the nitty gritty of it is we didn't know each other. And as we started learning about, she liked to smoke pot and drink, which I normally don't care. I don't care if anybody drinks. I can't. And I'm good with that. If somebody else that wants to drink, that's fine. But when you drink and then you isolate, then there, we don't have a relationship. When you smoke pot and you want to hide in a room all day. It's just, there's nothing there, you know, and I know I was doing stuff to bug her. So 
So I came back. I called my dad and my mom to tell them I was coming home, that it didn't work out. And I'm in New York, and it's snowing. They just had a blizzard. And uh, a blizzard, as a matter of fact, I was trapped in for three days. And uh, that was another opportunity, you know, but it's just not. If I would have drank in that, I would have probably died. Uh, but I was on foot in this blizzard looking for a shelter. And I spent one night in a firehouse and one night in a 7-Eleven. And uh, then I made it home. And then that's when she told me that it was just she wasn't happy and we were we needed to go our separate ways. Um, so I called my parents to tell them I was coming home and my dad was in a, uh, he was in a hospital. He was in his hospital bed. And I said, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. And he told me not to panic, not, not to, not to worry. He'll be up there the next day to pick me up. (laughs) I said, no, you can't do that. Then my mom got on the phone said the same thing i'm like you guys you're in the hospital you know you can't do this i said mom i go don't worry i'm not gonna drink and that was the big panic that's what they were most worried about and that's at at two and a half years i think my finally my parents finally understood that i wasn't going to drink again and uh that was that was the catalyst for that and uh so that there was a nice thing that came out of it you know i um i came i came home a uh, bunch of my friends from Celebration AA. I was living with my parent with my parents, and they lived over by UCF, and that's about an hour away from Celebration. Well, I had a bunch of I'm I'm very involved in Celebration AA, and I had a bunch of friends come over and pick me up and bring me back here, and we all had a little get together about you know oh all the stupid things we've done in sobriety because just because you did. Just because you get sober, it doesn't mean you make you don't make mistakes. We're not perfect. We're just human beings. And that's okay. It's okay to make mistakes. Our thing is to learn how when I make a mistake, I don't drink. I learn from the mistake and I move on. You know, and we were sitting around telling stories and it was a lot of fun. And uh, it made me, you know, and I went the next day to my meeting and I, I come clean about what happened. And then I'm back and... Of course, everybody, uh, everybody put their arm around me and was just happy and nobody would let me complain. Like I was like, yeah, she did this. And they're like, we don't care. We're just, we're just glad you're back. Everybody I said that to, they would just say that we don't care. I don't care. I'm just glad you're back. I went to the pastor of the church where we meet and I saw him and I'm like, oh man, I'm going to get a good spoonful of sympathy from him. He said the same thing to me. He goes, you know what? I don't care. I'm just glad you're back. I'm like, what the hell? So I remember I put on Facebook one day because I had just thought it was it's silly. But I put on Facebook one day, no matter how many bites of this shit sandwich I, I take, I can't get to the end. And I got a couple of cool responses. Like my kids were like, uh, oh, dad, hang in there. You know, and I'm like, all right, now it's starting to go my way. And so my, the last comment was from a girl I worked with who was going, who I had talked to her about some stuff and. Uh, she put on there, I had put, no matter how many bites of this shit sandwich I take, I can't get to the end. Well, her comment was, well, maybe you shouldn't eat shit. (laughs) (laughs) I hit the floor. I started laughing so hard and it was absolutely right. 
And the next day I put on there, my sandwich today is turkey with smoked Gouda. And I just made up this huge sandwich and because it's a choice. We live these days in sobriety. We have choices. And the choice I make dictates how well I do. And it's easy. It's pretty easy when things are going uh, when things are going good. Um, there, were, there have been times uh, with my kids I felt bad. Because I'm kind of a father from a distance. Uh, they live in Tennessee. They grew up with their mother in Tennessee, and now they're out on their they're out on their own now. And I think because they're young adults, they don't really need me. And uh, my daughter, to a certain degree, is very good on her own. Um, but my son, he uh, he went through some stuff, and I I got a call from my ex-wife about how I should probably call and talk to him. And he had some stuff going on that he needed, uh, he needed his dad. And we had a long hour long heart to heart about stuff. And, uh, when I hung up that day, I felt fulfilled, like everything going on, I can still be a father. And, you know, I love him so much. And, uh, it did boil down to at the age of 21, he thought he was supposed to know everything. And I was like, when he told me that I started laughing, I'm like, I'm 57 and I still don't know everything. You know, I go, you don't, don't be so hard on yourself, you know? And, uh, and that's the thing, you know, I've, I've learned so many little cliches in, uh, in AA that, um, they're really, they're really what I guide, guide my life by now. Um, when I was talking about faith, faith is easy when it's easy, but you know, three years ago I started having some serious health problems and I spent a total of six months in a hospital in 2018 I lost my job. Uh, I was going through some stuff and uh, I had to start sleeping with a light on because my head would just go crazy. And then that's when I truly learned the power of prayer and giving it over. You know, when I got sober and I look back on my life, I realized how much God had taken care of me um, in all situations and all things. There's stuff I should have been dead in. Um, and he's certain there's a saying in AA that he, he doesn't save you from drowning to kick your ass on the shore. So I just had to have faith that everything was happening for a reason. And I just had to get through it. And uh, over time, things have gotten better. I mean, it, it's never perfect, I don't think. Uh, and it's never going to be perfect. But what I make of the life I'm given dictates how I live it. And I really want to be happy. And I really want to. I really want to be happy, joyous, and free because the alternative sucks. So, is uh, how's that? It's beautiful. Thank you, thank you, Kevin. Um, I'm Mike, grateful yeah. alcoholic. Uh, now's the time where uh, I guess I, I don't want to say like we fill our egos with how we relate to you, but uh, honestly, what we get out of uh, you know, I genuinely mean how important you are to the fellowship in celebration. Um, and I know when I, uh, moved here four years ago, you were one of the first people that in a meeting, I don't, cause I used to vacation here before I actually moved to town a little over four years ago. And there were some people that I remember hearing, um, but I'm pretty positive. I remember hearing your message. And how you can go anywhere, which I think is so important, right? You can go anywhere. You can do anything. And how right now, so if you hear a lot of ambiance, if you will, around us, that's because 
we're sitting in the middle of downtown celebration on the waterfront. There are trucks going by. There are people walking by. There are families. There are dogs being walked. And we have rocking chairs. And we we have rocking chairs. Thank thank you, Dennis. That actually doesn't relate at all to what I was I was gonna say. But it's important. We have we have no no people can't hear you. You're too far away from the microphone anyway. So the importance of it is you're telling your story about uh, you know your past with drinking and some things that some people wouldn't share, even with close friends of theirs. You know of uh, going to jail or going through recovery and all this stuff. And uh, there's no fear, you know? I mean, this is a podcast that people that might not even know you are listening to you and it might get them through a tough time because your solution that you were talking about, especially I can relate to that first year, uh, the humility that you were talking about that comes up. And I think without you being honest, that humility, you wouldn't have found any of that. So that yeah, that's true. And uh, the thing about fear is you'll hear old timers always say, oh, I don't have any fear. I don't have any fear. I, I disagree. I, I don't agree. Fear is always around in our lives. It's how you deal with it. You know, and that's honest. You know, it's, sometimes it's not easy. It's, it's, easy to, to, it's easy to recede back into fear and live that way. But it, it takes guts and courage to admit the fear. Live with it, but also know that there's a solution. You know, if I have God and I have prayer and I have friends, there's really no reason to be in fear. But sometimes we live in a puddle of shit for so long that becomes like comfortable slippers sometimes. The thing about being sober and day by day is that puddle of shit is not as comfortable as it used to be. And it gets smaller and smaller and smaller the more the longer you're sober. And the trick these days is to recognize the fear before it's fully on you and start taking action. You know, yeah. Well, and that's the thing with the action. Like, uh, we're talking about uh, even years into recovery and into sobriety. Still, you know, 2018 was a tough year. And without having that shit sandwich maybe a decade earlier, maybe you wouldn't have actually been able to be equipped. I got you know, in 2009. 2009, yeah. So nine years later. Yeah. Started happening. So like, but, but imagine that. That you still work through it. And that's, I mean, that's what life is, right? And kind of sharing some of that. So I know for me, what you share in the meetings and why we wanted to really not only get you on a couple of weeks ago talking about living immense that you could relate to, but I wanted your story on today and I appreciate you very much for it. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Dennis? Michael? Um, yeah, I don't know. I think like thank you kevin for one like i appreciate you taking your time out of your busy schedule to be here i know you had a lot of like video games to watch or play <laughs> um i'm kidding um oh, you're no I, oh <laughs> i okay <laughs> maybe um but no I, I i always like hearing your story you have a lot of like Great. Are you okay, James? Yes, thank you, Dennis. Okay. Proceed. Okay, thank you. <laughs> you have a lot of like really like dramatic stories that I think would make like great movie things and that like you kind of touched on them, but you didn't go into a lot of the detail. Like the 
the blizzard story for instance where you went up to new york and you got married or whatever like that that story could go on for an hour and of itself about like walking through the snow and finding the firehouse and then you know you went into a a one apartment complex that was like government assisted apartment complex and then they wouldn't let you in because they were afraid they were going to get in trouble for letting a stranger in because there was rules at that place and then you found a 7-eleven where a guy like let you sleep in his car and gave you some clothes and stuff like that and like that story on itself is just amazing and, and through that story you illustrate your faith in it you know what i'm saying like you you mentioned that if you would have drank you wouldn't have survived but i think if you weren't in the program didn't have the the connection with a higher power you definitely wouldn't have survived and like in that situation i don't think i would have survived you know like i've never been in that and hopefully i never will be but it's it's just an amazing story and then also your your time in the hospital you know i remember that and i remember that like being worried for you and scared for you and we'd come to the hospital and see you and stuff like that and like they used to sneak you in uh like diet cokes or something because you weren't allowed to have diet cokes or whatever and like there's times that understandably that like you were pissy and grumpy or whatever but that's that's natural but there were a lot of times where you were just you were just kevin cracking jokes telling stories and you were fine. You accepted it. And you had, a, again, a faith that is unmatched. And, like, when you say, like, you were in the hospital, you didn't really mention it. And I won't really mention it. But, like, you had, like, serious surgeries. You know what I'm saying? Like, life-changing surgeries that, like, at times we didn't know if you if it was you were going to come out or not. And I think illustrating, like, seeing someone that can go through that and, like, handle it with, like you know not perfection but like with the amount of grace that you did is inspiring because it, it makes us it shows us that we can get through things that we never think that we could get through you know and i think that's very important when you tell your story like the the things that you since i've known you that you've gone through is it is inspiring you know it sucks and we don't want anyone to ever go through them but to see people that can go through it it, it gives us hope you know and then I'm going to stop rambling. How are you doing, James? Oh, good, Dennis. Thanks so much. Um, you know, on behalf of the defense characters, Kevin, I want to take, take the time out of your day to sharing your story. Um, our audience is up in the millions, so you're, you're helping a lot of people right now. And um, This is an honest you know, program, James. <laughs> I'm going to just stop there. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... You know, I've, I've known Kevin um, as long as I've been sober, which, you know, a short three years. Uh, it seems like a lot longer, but, um, you know, one thing I noticed about Kevin is uh, he always, and I mean always, will go up to the newcomer after the and ask him how he's doing. Do you have a big book? Sponsor. I've never seen him not do that when there's a newcomer in the morning. That is something really um that i admire about him um, i don't see everyone do that but i always see kevin and um that's really admirable kevin so that's really cool that you do that yeah, thank you and um you know kevin's one of the people who i enjoy listening to shares uh, he's very, very articulate 
Um, he always shows what it was like, what happened, but what he does now. There's always solution at the end of it. And it really, I know it helped me in early sobriety and to this day, his shares and friendship continue uh, to just be a great example of what true recovery and fellowship and service would be. Uh, you know, Kevin's friends with uh, Talitha, wife, and um, know that um, when she can't talk to the sponsor, she pretty much always Kevin. Right. Yeah, Kevin is like uh, her... Uh, her spiritual sponsor. I don't know, but she'll she'll be like, like, do you feel better? She's like, yeah. But they, like, thank you for doing that because you know I can't always be there. You know, as as the husband, I don't always have the right things to say. I'm just like, yeah, you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that's really cool. And um, you know, I could really identify when you were talking about your children. You know, because of my drug past, I um. I definitely alienated my family. My kids live 300 miles away. And, uh, you know, for the past seven years, I've been um, living um, only when I lived in Miami, I saw them on the weekend. I moved to celebration. You know, I don't see them a month. But, you know, it's all living amends at this time. And I talk to those boys twice a day. I FaceTime them. They don't always respond. You know, there's only so much dad they can take. Yeah. I have their lives as much as I can. Today we have a loving relationship. And, um, it's just an honor to be a part of their life. And, you know, when you talked about how yours are young adults now, uh, it reminds me that I can come to you because you've been through what I'm going through and you've seen them graduate and go on to their lives and you lived that so it's just by doing this podcast today it's a, rem a reminder to me that i can come to you and be like what did you do in this situation you know, when they moved out you know i can come to you so that's really cool and lastly i'll just say that uh, every morning in in the afternoon i'm reminded of you because i found out my cat is a diabetic so i have to <laughs> and i have to give him insulin <laughs> so I'm like come here little kevin <laughs> Uh, thanks so much, buddy. Good to hear from you. Thanks, James. That was awfully nice. See, you remind cats remind people of Ke of Kevin, the diabetic, the diabetic part. Right. We just wanted to <laughs> clarify. By the way. Uh, oh yeah. When the new Batman comes out, I'm going to see it with you. Oh, when the new yeah, Batman yeah. comes out, yeah, yeah. We um, I think we we didn't talk about you in particular, Kevin, but we did discuss uh going back to movie theaters a couple of weeks ago and you were one of the one of the crew that we made sure that we're uh we're there so so it's good and it's but it's amazing the life that we have oh what do you got dennis your fingers in the air james i have to tell you since you're not here kevin's very upset that we went and saw tenant without him and he won't leave me like let me live it down I don't so, know. I'm not. I'm not upset. I got. Uh, I got other friends. I'm okay. I don't. Okay. I don't know why you would think I would be upset. I'm all right. I'm. I'm not upset. I'm just disappointed. Yeah. There you go. That's healthy. That's. And healthy. I, I tell you, Kevin. I left that theater like just with questions. Like, what did <laughs> Yeah, Christopher Nolan's. Uh, he's a tough read sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just read it on Wikipedia if you don't understand it. There. Where will you? Right. Yeah, nah, maybe not, maybe not. But uh, well, thank thank you for your story, Kevin. 
Uh, let's wrap this up. This is uh, the Defective Characters Podcast. We will be back next Thursday sharing our experience, strength, and hope with you with episode 56. Entirely ready to have all these character defects removed. Remember, it's all about the journey, man. And we'll yeah. see you next time.